talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Hello, and welcome back to another two-part Super Smash Together extendo look at uh, The West Wing uh, on our podcast, more like The Worst Wing. Uh, I am Dave. And I'm Stu. And we welcome you uh, as we take a look at the Season 2 opener, which is a two-part episode entitled In the Shadow of Two Gunmen, Parts 1 and 2. Um, And... This is an interesting thing Stu and I were discussing in our sort of pre-recording conversation of how, in particular, these these two episodes are such a nice little time capsule of this time period, of like this 1999-2000, we're just on the cusp of of becoming a post-9-11 world uh, mentality, essentially. Yeah, and I mean, obviously... You know, if this was recorded in the middle of the year 2000, so like, okay, great. Um, mm-hmm. And it is that there isn't a whole lot of politics and politicking that happens across this thing, obviously, Correct. because it's dealing with the fallout of a very narrative, not necessarily political event. Right. So uh, we do yeah. we do dive into the motivation of the shooters for like a hot minute there, but. Very little politicking is actually discussed or accomplished in this episode. Uh, it's much more about the characters reacting uh, to the immediate aftermath of the shooting, which, of course. Yeah. Um, so we start off right away um, with, uh, with the the intro, or is this of the second episode um, where the guy gets caught? That's the second, second episode, episode right? Second episode. I have a whole <laughs> bit about that, so we won't even so, get there. So we actually start. Uh, with the president in the limo, right? Yes. So yeah. yeah, we start with the president in the limo on the way out of the shooting. You know, the Secret Service got him in the car, and the fucking limo sped out of there. First thing, so we cut to Bartlett in the car with Ron Butterman. Um, Bartlett's super concerned about is Zoe safe? Butterman assures him, yes, of course he's safe. Uh, Butterman's been hit in the hand uh, with a bullet uh, and is bleeding and Bartlett is like holy shit you're hit we need to go to the hospital and he's like no I'm a secret service agent we need to get you to the White House uh, before we do anything else um, and then Bartlett kind of starts ranting about something and during this rant Butterman dis- discovers that Bartlett is bleeding a little from the mouth yeah. and goes like holy shit uh, immediately starts checking coming out of your mouth yeah Immediately starts checking him for bullet wounds, checks the head first, which I appreciate because that's the most important part to check, uh, finds out the president has been shot, uh, apparently non-vitally or non-fatally, since he seems to be doing okay, uh, but has been shot, immediately yells at the driver, blue, 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 we get to see this fucking sweet e-brake U-turn of the presidential limo that I love so much, where it fucking just, like, it takes six lanes and it just U-turns super hard, and I fucking love it, and then they're on their way to the hospital, because, you know, the president's been hit. Um, So, just, like, balls out, balls to the wall, pedal to the metal intro that, like, we normally do not get on this show, and it's like, strap in, strap in, folks, you know? Yeah, and, I mean, it's, the kind of in the the aftermath of the shooting. And this isn't even is... the biggest reveal. Yeah, the, oh, no. the big reveal is that Josh got hit yeah. really hard. Well, and so, uh, and we don't even get that for like 10 minutes. But what's also really cool is that the, the actually, and again, the show does this thing where it leaves you to figure out what the fuck people are worried about because when they get to the hospital, mm-hmm. um, it's like, 
yeah, yeah, all right, president's been shot. And he literally has to, you see, and it evolves so quickly. It's just like you see him figure out that, oh, shit, I have to tell these people that I have MS. I have to tell, yeah, the doctor, or at least the anesthesiologist, which Abby comes in to do, of like, uh, by the way, he's got MS, so that, you know, you have to know that as a doctor because <laughs> it's going to affect the way you treat him and anesthetize him and blah, blah, blah. Uh, she says an interesting line to him here of, go, after this is all done, go to the press, don't go to the press, it's up to you. Uh, and this is a post-HIPAA uh, world. HIPAA, got so- HIPAA, of course, is the Health Insurance Protection Accountability Act, something like that. Uh, two A's, not two P's. I know that much. And HIPAA basically says, you cannot go and tell the press that the president has MS <laughs> yeah. if you are his doctor. Uh, that is actually confidential patient information. So that that's weird, but, uh, but an interesting little tidbit here. So yeah, we get the president sort of panicking about that, and then it quickly spirals into, well, now the president's knocked out. Who's running the country? Yeah, so we do get a little bit of Hoynes here mm-hmm. where they they have- oh my god the hoin scene <laughs> the hoin scene's so funny this, this for two reasons one he's doing the typical vice presidential task which is bullshit uh, <laughs> of of just kind of glad handing the people who uh who, who it's the women's ncaa volleyball team i believe uh i didn't bas- even notice <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's volleyball because he talks about volleyball when he's talking with them, but okay. he's basically glad handing them because they're the NCAA volleyball champions or whatever. And this is the kind of thing a vice president does on a day to day basis is like this kind of like bullshit PR, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go shake the hands of the NCAA champs today. <laughs> oh, that well, that's great. Hoynes, you're really doing good work today. Keep up the good work. Yeah. And it's it's. It's great, but then it's, it's also funny because of what happens. So go on. Yeah, so yeah. like it's it's just an interesting, almost self-parody of being like it's played up as a contrast to the dire circumstances in which the president is. But right. actually, it's like this is actually pretty much what the vice president is relative to the president at all times. Like regardless right. of whether the president has been shot, hasn't been shot, regardless of what the right. vice president is doing. Right, like, but then we get this, this comedy yeah. thing of of the Secret Service rush in, and they're like, "We have to give Mr. Vice President come with us right away," <laughs> and like, and, and they all lay hands on him, which is my favorite part. Is <laughs> like each one has like a hand on his shoulder or somewhere, just to be sure he doesn't like teleport away or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, so Hoynes is fulfilling his most vital promise, which is having a pulse uh, whilst the president might die. Yep. Um, that's this is the most vital role of the vice president so, at all times. And at the, at this point, it um it enters into like a uh, the other com- commonality between these two episodes is that there is a series of flashbacks to the beginning of the campaigns. Yes. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, we get we get flashbacks, and they're they're mostly some of them are are characters under anesthesia having them, and some of them are just kind of characters reminiscing. Um, but it's very. It's funny because it's pre-lost, but it's very lost, in my opinion. A show I've never seen. Mm. And you should probably keep it that way, honestly. <laughs> All right. Man, season one is so good, and then it... <laughs> Fair train wreck. Right. But this is not a lost podcast, so we're not going to talk uh... about that here. Uh, so, we, so we start getting our flashbacks to uh, Bartlett's early campaigning. Uh, and uh, we do mean early. Uh, the first thing we see is like a veterans hall event he's doing where like, you know, all of 10 people have showed up. Uh, and it's clear that this is basically like, 
you know, he's still kind of in the very trial balloon stage of can this can candidacy even like make waves? Yeah, well, and it's being compared to the that we eventually learn that it's like he was actually pretty reluctant to run, and mm-hmm. there's like <laughs> just sort of that they're they're doing staff shakeups throughout all this shit. Right. Um, and <laughs> there's a line. So, we, yeah, we find out Toby was actually one of the first people on the campaign. Yeah. Uh, and that before Bartlett, Toby's record was awful mm-hmm. uh, and had literally never won an election, um, though he, despite his claims to be an extremely good political operative. Yeah. Um, which just kind of sums up the Democratic Party <laughs> well, in a nutshell. Well, there's another thing. It's like, I think they say, like, they say, I don't know what we're for or against. Yes. Um, in well, that's with Hoynes, to, Hoynes. Yep. to be fair. Yeah. And then also, like, they're, they're clarifying themselves like would we be dumb enough to i don't know what the fuck it is and he just says yes we're exactly that dumb uh it's uh, dumb enough to uh uh, another like liberal professor from new hampshire um and yeah and leo says yeah i think we're exactly that dumb (laughs) which yeah thanks yeah you've done all the work for us so we get um we get a quick visual on Sam where Josh goes to New York in this flashback to be yes. like, Hey Sam, come like, I I'm, think I found a guy. Right. Well, for, at first he just comes to say hi. Oh. And then Sam asks him like, Hey, how's work, your work on the Hoynes campaign going? And Josh's response is like, eh. and Sam picks up on that. He's like, if you find a guy that makes you really excited, come back to me. Yeah. Um, and so, meanwhile, Sam's job is a whole fucking thing of, like, where he just kind of, so he's, he's, he's at Gage Whitney, and he's being, he's about to become partner, so he's doing quite well, and he's doing a liability deal for this, comp- this like, shipping company, mm-hmm. or oil company, uh, where he's, he's giving them a liability shield for these ships in case anything goes wrong with them, uh, and he's doing, like, this great legal work, and everyone's fine. And then out of nowhere, he just kind of has, like, this, what I'll call, like, instant face turn, where suddenly he's like, oh, wait, ethics. And then <laughs> brings up, like, hey, but what if these ships crash because they're, like, sheep and shitty and stuff? And, like, I know we we hid your liability, but don't you think you should get, like, good ships so they don't crash? <laughs> <laughs> and the business people are like, but these ships are cheap, and I don't well, care yeah, the about externalities. So. And, like, and the rest of the law firm is like, Sam, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, where the fuck did this come from all of a sudden? Which is a fair question well, it seems because to be... literally a scene ago he was writing their liability shield for them yeah and it seems to be entirely prompted by josh showing up which by the way they do they're shooting this outside of grand central in new york city you can see yeah you can see like in, <laughs> in it's not extras it's like live man on the street right. type of shot you can see four people recognize rob Lowe. be like oh hey look rob Lowe!" Yeah. <laughs> like in like 45 seconds of film time it's yeah. just like four people yeah. are like oh my god it's funny that no one like recognizes Bradley, Bradley Whitford. Whitford <laughs> and yet the show tells us that, like, the college girls are all into him. And he's the one with the fangirls. Well, you know, he is dreamy. <laughs> with that hair. Yeah, with that eagle on be? his head. <laughs> um, so Sam's, Sam's flashback is kind of weird in that sense. CJ's flashback is the best. Oh, absolutely. Uh, of all of them. So we get to find out that pre-campaign, CJ was working in L.A., uh, for a big Hollywood PR firm, uh, and they have a what is clearly meant to be like kind of a Harvey Weinstein analog. I'm gonna say, yeah, uh, the angry client, 
Uh, so they have an angry client in their office at 6.30 in the morning who's ranting about how they only got two Golden Globe nominations and how he went from third most powerful man in Hollywood to ninth most powerful man in Hollywood. And blah, 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 he's super upset. And CJ's just not having his shit at all. <laughs> and is treating it super flippantly and is wonderful uh, in this entire scene. And is just like, look, you made bad, shitty movies, dude. Fucking deal with it. Well, and you know that's and of course, of course, speaking truth to power gets her instantly fired. Well, yeah, and that's the worst thing you can do to these people is not take them seriously. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, so so she's instantly canned. Uh, she has to go home. Uh, because of the fact that it was so crazy early in the morning, she hasn't had time to put her contacts in, uh, and she broke her glasses getting out of the car, so she can't see great, so she gets a cab to bring her home, and the reason I bring all this up is so that when uh, she finds out Toby is at her home, and she starts walking towards him, we get a grade A pratfall. Uh, from Allison right Janney as she pool. falls into the pool <laughs> with her box with her Hollywood prop box of fired things, <laughs> um, and it's great, great stuff. Uh, this is not a show for physical comedy, so I'll appreciate it when I get it. Yep. Well, and uh, you know that that it sort of dovetails into Toby. Like Toby doesn't really get a whole lot of flashback play. He's right. just. You know, it's it. He gets brought it's in. It's more like he's the framing device for everyone else. Yeah, flashback. because he's so the, we get like a, he's the thread. He's the timeline, kind of. Yeah. yeah, he's the thread where where you can measure them exactly. Yeah, and so like there's only there's like one shot of him drinking heavily in a bar, <laughs> and then he also. It's funny because it's like it's like the Rob Lowe shot from the pilot. Like almost, almost the same. Yeah. Where it's a woman, a woman talking to him and everything. Except it's you know it leads to a much different outcome. But it's almost the exact same scene. Yeah. Uh, from Rob Lowe from the pilot. I just thought that was funny to me. Yeah, absolutely. And so then you know he goes to visit the the thing is like he is kept on when Leo does this basically like cleans house. Of all these right. shitty, so the, uh, terrible consultants. All the other campaign guys basically come to Leo and go, like, look, this shit is not working. And Leo's like, I agree. You're all fired. <laughs> uh, and Toby gets to stay on. <laughs> and Bartlett's like, I don't even know which one Toby is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is which is great. <laughs> um, and, and the next time we see him, even though it's clearly months later, he still doesn't know Toby's name, which is <laughs> which is really great. Yeah. And so, like, that all kind of... Uh, it, it that, that flashback setting kind of sets the stage for you know, really eventually the denouement of the episode, which is not, and and we'll talk about in a bit, but it's not really, mm. it's not so much foreshadowed almost at all, but it sets up this very interesting um, sort of evolution of the Bartlett doesn't know who these characters, who these people right. are down the line to being like, this is how you cultivate this loyalty from right. your staff. now now they're like a pseudo family yes you know now you now josh is his son and, yeah. and stuff like and that. we'll talk yeah. we'll talk about that because i want to talk about that in a yeah. little bit but then so let's take a brief break here and then we can dig yeah, on like, there's a the... lot to dig through since we are digging through two <laughs> parts here even though we said not much politics happens a lot of stuff happens that we do want to talk about yeah, so absolutely. yeah let's take a quick break here and we'll dig more into more stuff that happens <laughs> All right, so in the current time of this arc of episodes, mm-hmm. the show then focuses on the hunt for the shooter. Right. The, the basically... Like, well, the, the hunt for the man on the ground. The shooters are dead. Oh, the shooters are dead. Excuse me. The hunt yeah, for the, 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 sh- the third the part The third man. Uh, the yeah. third man who was not needed at all. 
Yes, I also wrote that down again. So. <laughs> uh, when we get to his actual capture, I have some words, because this thing has bothered me, and I'm so mad that the official podcast didn't talk about this. So we get a, we get a black screen letting us know it is exactly 3.28 in the morning. 3.28 a.m. Mm. Well, because only, only, de- like, only degenerates are doing Right, sure, sure. But, okay, whatever. But we're establishing the time. <laughs> and then the very next shot is establishing the place. This is very, you know, this is how you establish shots, like, in television. So we've got 3.28 a.m. The next shot is Dixie Pig Barbecue. What the fuck barbecue restaurant is open at 3.30 in the goddamn morning? <laughs> this is not a 24-hour diner. This is a goddamn barbecue restaurant. Uh, but this is where our, our third shooter gets found and captured um, as By, the Secret um, Service you know, tracks him down. As the police track them down, basically. Yeah, so. yeah. So he comes out, tries to light up a cigarette. Here's a helicopter approaching, which then hits him with the spotlight. Uh, about eight police cars and SUVs and SWAT vans all pull up with guys all with shotguns yelling, Get down! Get down on the ground! And not only does he not get down, he tries to run... Uh, reaches for something and uh, and has something in his hands and doesn't get lit up, which is yeah. just incredible. Well, you see, Dave, I don't know if you may have noticed the the <laughs> melanin levels in his Uh-oh. skin. Uh oh, were they were they relatively low? <laughs> is that what you're telling me here? One could say he's damn. The near white boy didn't get didn't get lit up despite not getting on the ground right away. <laughs> And him literally and having, like, a pack of cigarettes in his hand that he's waving right. around. Yeah, and he tries to run, like, <laughs> five times in a row, like, bef- uh, oh my god. Anyway, that's that's arguably the uh, most realistic part of the episode. So, while this is going on, there is, there's basically, it, the, the concern is that there's a, a germinating constitutional crisis because right. there, there are several, there's a potential threat to national security, obviously, so we get introduced for the first time to the national security advisor, Nancy McNally, who Yay. is a new character for this season. Yes, um, and she will she will be a series regular for a good long while um, before she gets replaced eventually by, uh, I forget the actress, uh, Mary McCormick, um, yes. eventually replaces her role, but that's not till like season six or something, like post-Sorkin years. Uh, Nancy will be on for at least a good, till season five or so, I believe. Uh, but yeah, she's there basically to uh, to throw kind of a spanner in the works when she mentions like, oh, by the way, there's a national security bill that says like, technically, um, we're in charge if the president goes down or something <laughs> like that, uh, which just makes the crisis even, even crazier. Uh, and I like that Nancy's reaction to all this is kind of like smug bemusement throughout the whole thing of like, this sounds like your problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, because as soon as she mentioned, like you said, when she mentions it, it's like, Toby and Leo, like you can see, like the, freak the, out, yeah. and you can see like the numbers Fuckstein in them come out and be like, yeah. "Oh my God, she's yeah. citing paragraph blah of you know section blah of the U.S. Code. How do right. I counter this?" And it's like, yeah. Jesus Christ, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna technocrat my way out of this situation. Right. So her her you know her concern is, hey, we might be under attack, um, which is uh, you know one logical, but. But two, interesting in that this is a pre-9-11 episode and we hadn't quite, like, had that mentality drilled into us yet of every big bad thing might mean we're under attack from someone. Yeah, um, and it... So it's interesting that that's her first guess, especially considering 
uh, in theory, the Secret Service knew ahead of time about the white supremacist threats. And so they should know it's not, we're under attack from a foreign power, it's, we're under attack from homegrown white supremacists. Yeah, and also the more I think about this, it's it's more interesting because, frankly, it the show makes plain that um, both of these sort of sides, if you will, it's the Leo and Toby, like the staff side versus the national security apparatus side, are both manipulating Hoynes. Right. Because, you know, the, the power technically sort of defaults to him in right. his substitute capacity um, yeah, as the commander-in-chief. For, for these few hours that, that the president is under general general anesthesia, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Because he didn't sign a letter ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's it's super interesting just to kind of think about, like, well, yeah, but in context of manipulating this man, right. you know, what are we trying to establish here? So, right. and then obviously Hoynes the show never really, like, digs Yeah, Hoynes doesn't end up making any calls or anything. We'll get a lot more into this territory when John Goodman shows up. Yes. Um, because that that's really dives into this whole idea of like, well, what are you allowed to do now? You know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, but yeah, Hoynes doesn't actually make any calls, really. So it kind of ends up not meaning anything. Um, though I would like to take this moment to bring in that Margaret has apparently been practicing the president's signature. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and says that she's got it down pretty good and she could forge it on a uh, document removing him from power. Uh, thus... Uh, Margaret is going to institute a coup d'etat against America, death to <laughs> America, death to solidarity America. with Margaret, bring this whole thing burning down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let the secretaries take charge. Yeah. Um, the, um, and then after sort of this, there's like this brief peek in on this thing and then they find the guy. But then the real, the, the quote unquote crisis throughout the second half of this arc is CJ's handling of the information flow. Right. the press about the incident yeah and uh so and for the first day you know this is still happening day of the shooting that she was at and involved in and in fact got dragged to the ground and hit her head hard enough that she probably has a concussion or you know <laughs> is clearly in shock you can tell on the first day allison janney is playing her as like quite adult. you know in shock adult yeah. adult is a good word but yeah um it, it dies down more on the second day, which is nice. I, I like that subtle touch there. And, and on the second day, she's a lot more pulled together, and she can kind of frame it. And she even says to Sam, like, on that first day, I was going by other people's accounts because I literally could not remember what happened because I was in shock. Yeah, um, and, and so it's just like, shocking to me that she's fucking doing the press yeah, briefings and yeah, all this. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, dur- <laughs> like, while she's in actual physical shock. Like, like and forgetting details and like giving the wrong information and stuff and yeah, then clearly can't carol fill in can't yeah. someone else fill in like she's had a fucking day here <laughs> like well and then danny motherfucker comes oh my in God. and okay look so fine we spent the last several episodes on the on the outs with danny because we're giving him like a bit of a professional right he was in the doghouse for a little bit yeah. yeah but motherfucker comes back with a vengeance in this episode, like in these episodes, and is just hounding CJ. Right, and it's so not weird so to much, be like, "Yeah, go hey, ahead, hey, hey, woman that I love." Uh, I'm not going to spend a second asking you if you're okay or anything like that. I'm just going to jump right into my reporter role. Like to give him a little bit of credit, he says, "I wish I couldn't be a reporter right now," but doesn't even bother to ask, like, "Hey, are you okay?" 
Yeah, and it's it's it weird. Not, yes, and it's it, it it plays against type for him. He spent all yeah, of the first normally, season. Yeah, normally he's like the kind to be like, hey, we're still humans under underneath our roles here, and let's connect human to human. Like normally he's the guy to be doing that. It's so weird to suddenly see him be like, oh, I'm only a reporter and I can't act concerned or something like that. It's, well, it's strange. The other thing is that he seems to have the salt to be like. Um, I can discriminate that in a time like this, the information that is going to be available to the public will be worthless. Right. Like, I, I'm not going to get any super secret scoop out of this because it is the the national security apparatus is literally treating this as a threat against like the right. The, They're gonna fucking clam up. They're not gonna yeah. give you any de- fucking details about this, and he knows it, of course, because he's a reporter. Yeah. It's and. It, he says, like, I don't want the official answer of who was in charge. I want to know who was in charge. Like, it's Hoynes, motherfucker. Like, okay, yeah, like, the end. The end. Like, <laughs> like period. Stop bothering me. Uh, you want to write a big story about in time of crisis, while president was under anesthesia, vice president boldly stuck up, stood up to take charge. Like, is that a news story? Yeah. <laughs> That's and- what's supposed to happen. And it's so, and again, as a, as sort of like a meta read of the betrayal of type here, it's almost like he's angling to to do so to to like dig in on the administration doing something incorrectly. I guess, like, yeah, like he's trying to catch them up in like yeah, you know, like a gotcha you moment or cross something, your yeah. eyes and you know dot your t's right kind of moment. Yeah, yeah, it's and weird. I, I don't know. It's it's, it's weird. very strange. It's just weird. Um, so let's move past that now. Having commented on it, um. We then get, so uh, at this point, we get to like day two or whatever, uh, and CJ gets this nice, I actually like the moment she has with Rob Lowe, um, where, or with Sam, I should say, oh, yeah. where, where so as after the day has passed and on day two and after a night's sleep, her mind's kind of put events back together and she realizes the reason that she lost her necklace and that her head hurts and, and everything was that uh, Sam basically yanked her to the ground the second he heard shooting start um, in a very kind of like noble move. Uh, and then Sam's reaction is, I didn't want you to be beholden to me, which I get this is the weird part or whatever, but I think he sa- he saves it pretty well when she's like, look, I don't feel beholden to you. And he's like, why not? I saved your life. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I was, it was... Um... I, I, I don't know what what primed me to think about this, but when the, the scene was happening, now granted it was in the context of Josh interrogating Donna when he first met her about her boyfriend. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, that that's weird. Um but and I, that, I, that one I'm willing to go with. <laughs> just but I, I it seemed almost there was there was a little bit of kind of sexist stuff going on here, but I think a it little. was only but I think it was literally only because I had been just like just I smacked my, with that. Yeah. My radar yeah. had been turned on like super high gain because of what yeah. Josh and Donna Oh my God. Doing. So yeah. So we get the flashback here of how Donna joined the group and it's literally just like she showed up one day and, tr- and uh, bless be to Donna. Like this is my favorite way of trying to get a job. Just show up and start doing it and start make them fucking stuff. kick you out, you know, like, and, uh, and so Josh kind of interrogates her of like, hey, who the hell are you and why are you in my office answering my phone and acting like my secretary? Uh, and during this interrogation, this is where it gets into like the gross, creepy personal stuff where he starts quizzing her about like her personal, like he starts being like, oh, so your boyfriend, huh? Fucking let you uh. down. Like, so weird. Like, <laughs> just keep it professional, man. 
Well, and it it what's strange is that the first season did a pretty good job of establishing a basic sexual tension between the two right. of them, if for no yeah. other reason than that when it's fucking network television. Like when two right. characters have that relationship, right. it's almost it's almost it's a little exciting. Yeah. It's assumed and insinuated that they have that tension going on. But right. this is just like, it's just like, nope, we're going to just smash that fourth wall and come out and say, wow, Josh <laughs> is into, into Donna sexually. Like, yeah, what the fuck? Like, yeah, like right <laughs> away. And it's just like, yeah, if you want to say it's like this romance that blossomed after a long time, don't make it so he's like pervily creeping on her about <laughs> her boyfriend from the get-go, you know? like and Making presumptions about her ability based on her right. status, her right. relationship status. It was just very strange and bad. However, the last thing that we want to talk about mm-hmm. is the Josh redemption arc that comes as a sort of a very nice dovetail of the flashback mm-hmm. timeline with the real-time mm-hmm. timeline, and I'm ready to launch right into this, so we don't even need Go to ahead. stop recording. This shit... So, Josh goes into surgery because he has been injured most critically in yes, the shooting. he got shot he, twice. Yeah. Twice in the chest. Uh, yep. Real bad. He's critical. Uh, you know, it's like 50-50 if he'll pull through or not, basically. Yep, and so... On the second day, after all this operation and stuff, the president comes out from his surgery and is immediately like, like he learns that Josh got shot or whatever. Right, because he didn't know. Because he didn't beforehand. Know, yeah. yeah, he got he got put under anesthesia before anyone found out Josh got hit, um, which is interesting because like Josh is the most critically wounded of all, and yet was left alone the longest too, yeah. which is just like, <laughs> yikes! Like he should really be dead. Again, well, and we also talked about how these people are all replaceable, right? Because Abby Bartlett has the line, it's like, I'm sure your work, his work will be fine. Right, yeah, when Donna comes in freaking out, like, oh my god, all of Josh's work, and like, you know, it's clear it's kind of a trauma shift of like, she's focusing on this rather than, oh my god, he might die, kind of thing of like, she's letting herself get busied with these details, but Abby puts to lie this idea of like, look, Josh isn't that important, the work will get done. (laughs) Yeah, so Josh's flashback... um, culminates in the campaign's win in the Illinois Democratic primary, which would basically at this point paves the road for him to get the not for Bartlett to get. Yeah, the it was, it's like a, it's the big win. It's, you know, it's the big win that's going to like put him over the top. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so this happens and it's very it's jarring as hell, like because people are flipping out in the hotel room, like celebrating the high having yeah. shit. And then Donna, good. Donna comes in. And Josh is like, hey, come dance hey, with me. Come, come on, dance, come dance. Come and celebrate. Like, we're, we're having a party. And Donna's like, no, Josh, your father died. Fucking, like, like seconds. <laughs> seconds afterwards. Yeah. Straight up, like, just says, don't, like, don't, like, sit not down. Like, not like, Give hey, me let second. me come talk to you alone yeah. for a second. Like, no, just says where other people can hear. Oh, by the way, your, Straight dad, up, your Josh, dad your died. dad just died. And, just you know, died. Obviously, he's crushed, and so the final right. the final scene of the episode. First of all, like obviously, he gets on. He's getting on a plane to go back to Chicago, or right. from Chicago to wherever California. Yeah, California. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So this is a, a shot and a scene, like a cinema piece of cinematography that has stuck real with good. me since the yeah. first time I saw it. It is Josh in like a light suit sitting in a uh, airport terminal that is, I will note, having grown up there, not O'Hare. Um, he's TV magic. Yes. So he's sitting in this chair in an airline and it's just, he's in the center of the frame and gradually the rest of the frame 
fills up with bodies in black suits as these mm-hmm. guys silently walk in and position themselves. And take, and take the Secret Service agent pose. <laughs> yeah, around Josh. And then the president shows up. And it's just, yeah. It again, far be it from us to fillet Aaron Sorkin here, but it's just very much... I, I, I'd argue you're filleting the uh, the director or yeah. the director yeah, yeah. of photography or anything like that. Sorkin didn't write the, the character movement and the framing. Yeah, so... Like, and it's just, it's a beautiful piece of of film and mise-en-scene. And so then the president comes in and is like, I, you know, holy shit, I'm sorry about your dad. You know, what can Mm -hmm. I do? Can I come with you? And Josh is like, sir, you've got to. Are you insane? Like, you've got to go, like, accept the nomination or whatever. Right, and go to California. Like, like, the California primary starts, like, tomorrow. (laughs) You know, like, but but it was, but it was nice of you to ask. You yeah, know. And, and he shows up. He's like, and and this sort of like, there's there is established an emotional bond, and this mm-hmm. this then this tie between the two, and it fades out and in on Josh waking up from surgery, which was obviously yes. successful. He's still alive, and the Thank president God. is sitting there, like you know, with his hand on his forehead, and he leans mm-hmm. in, and Josh whispers something, and Bartlett's like, "What did he say? I didn't hear it." Or somebody says, what he say? Leo, I didn't Leo, hear it. Says, Leo that, says, yeah. And the president's like, he said, what's next? Which is the catchphrase of Bartlett from, you know, right. how he gets stuff done. It's all, it's on all the of, mugs and all in the mugs. Of like, okay, enough of this issue. Let's move on to the next thing. You know, Josh is basically saying, hey, I'm fine. What's next? Yeah. And like, it is, it's, it's pitch perfect. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was, you know, I've seen this uh, several times at this point, Same, but it always yeah. gets me right in the feels. It's like, that is yeah. actually like, you, you get a lot of transference from Josh dad to president dad. Right. In that moment where, yeah. you know, and r- right beforehand, uh, Bartlett has a thing of like, Hey, I'm a father. Trust me. He was proud. You know? Yeah. yeah like, it's, 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 it's a very, nice. it's a very it's... clever and excellent and like, <laughs> I don't want to say subtly done because it has all the subtle mm. of a sledgehammer, but mm-hmm. sort of uh, efficiently done, I guess, is more the better phrase of, you know, just efficiently getting this this story beat of cross of like, and this, and this is how Josh became his son, essentially. This, this is how the team was made into a yeah. family. And exactly. It's it's very And this sort of trauma, you know, really does bring people close together like this. So it makes sense, you know, of of even especially after something like this, they're gonna be even closer brought together. Well yeah, and we've talked about the protagonist effect before, and it's also like it's the it's the kind of the the combination of that and the concept of great man political theory too. It's like of course of course we view these people as father figures because we're so fucking patriarchal that we right. can do nothing else. You know, yeah. even even the female leaders in, in political, like Margaret, Margaret Thatcher, they always talk about her being like strong mummy. And it's like, right. Yeah. It's always, yep. it's always parental for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, we'll I get think, a little bit of this too in, in um, minor spoiler alert, but in the, uh, Two cath- in the famous two cathedral episodes, which is Bartlett coming up. says, Bartlett says, "Well, you know, what was Josh Lyman? That was my son." Yes, uh, when he's when he's railing at God, so it's definitely something the writers, you know, are clearly planting and, and latching onto at this point. Yeah. And in the last sort of little 
uh, time capsule bit. It's also the president is just able to, granted he's not actually the president at this time, he just waltzes into the airline terminal right. without having a ticket. It's very pre-9-11 <laughs> where you could actually go to the gate to see someone off or, or to pick someone up from their flight right as they got off the plane. Oh, God, and it's so strange because I flew, you know, probably... 15 times before 9-11 you know Mm -hmm. i was doing all my my college visits or whatever the fuck and family vacations when i was 10 11 years old i don't think i don't think i have a single memory of what going to the airport prior to the goddamn tsa theater rigmarole was like i cannot remember back from my mind uh i i traveled internationally um pre was that pre no that was that actually was post 9-11 but I was able to run in an airport, which would shocked me at the time. Uh, I figured I'd get tackled yeah. <laughs> by someone. Yeah. So, uh, but like yeah, it, it closes little, out with this very little... time capsule-y not yeah. a little thing of like, oh yeah, you could just walk to the terminal. Hmm, remember that? So, <laughs> a moment like, from a bygone era. Um, yeah, one last really thing nice. I'd like to to bring up in the episode is that CJ gives a nice little whopper of a speech at the end. Um, which is giving her final press briefing after it's all been together. It's like, obviously, where she says, obviously there's going to be one story that dominates the news for the next few days because the fucking president got shot. Um, But I would like to take this moment to talk about all the other non-famous people who got shot today and list through the various people who have died that day from gunshot crimes uh, and all the other various crimes that were committed with guns. Um, and And says, and if anyone... Uh, would like to say that any of these victims would have done better had they been armed themselves. I'd like to mention that the president got shot today while being protected by the best armed uh, guards in the history of the world. Uh, which CJ, pedantic nit point, nitpick here, uh, the people who guard the Pope, I think, maybe get that. That much honor. much but, longer history of yeah, theoretically. If you're saying history of the world, if yeah. you're going to say the best, <laughs> the best armed guards currently existing, okay, we can maybe squabble about that more honestly. Uh, history of the world is a hell of a claim, though. You, you know, but, I'm sure. But regardless, the speech has has power and impact. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's it's an episode that the show has large an episode an issue that the show has largely shied away from. Right, that yeah, not politicizing and, and, it, and then to explicitly politicize it here at the end of like, hey, this is because of gun violence and the fucking gun problem we have. Yeah, uh, is an is a nice touch to do. Yeah, um, and yeah, and I I don't know, I cannot remember if they go in on that from here on out. I think we get a little. Um, I definitely remember in some of the next episodes, they, they try to push some gun control legislation be- mm-hmm. and specifically because of this, uh, I might be making that up. I, I want to say, I, I think that happens. Well, we have plenty of time. Yeah. We'll out. certainly, fi- we'll certainly find out, <laughs> uh, as we go forward into season two. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's yeah. all I've got. Yeah, I, honestly, like this is where we would take a break and maybe talk about deeper themes or something like that, but there really aren't any. Uh, <laughs> it's mostly just kind of like a lot of stuff happens, and the main theme that we talked about, like that they're more of a family now, we've we've talked about effectively. Yeah, um, it's, well, and they, they, it's also you see the show, frankly, I think this is exactly the, the they take they take a giant leap in technical, not only competence, but confidence. Yes. In these episodes, you see the yeah, weird Yeah, they're willing thing. to take more risks yes, um, with the with format the a little. 
Yeah. Yeah, and you see like the 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 very first shot of the very first episode, like they do some stuff where it's a like it's um like a zoom to to put a car a shattered car window in focus. Like it's mm-hmm. very it's an yeah, easy way to frame up a shot. There's more yeah, like there there definitely, you know, this there's no walk and talk in this episode for example. Yeah. You know, like, it, the show is, like, very consciously trying to kind of, like, pull away from its usual formula. Uh, and I don't know if that's just because, like, they decided, hey, we can do new, cooler stuff now, or if it's just for this two-parter, since it's about something weird and, and you know, not usual happening. Yeah, and I don't know, you but know, either honestly, way, it's effective. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was almost 20 years ago. I don't remember the initial reception of the first season of the show. Obviously, it got renewed, so it pulled yeah, in it was, some no, sort it of was doing it was doing pretty damn well, yeah. uh, particularly by the end. Uh, and then from there on, it would only do better and better until Sorkin left. Sure. Yeah, so we're, uh, yeah. we're launching season that, two on a high note here. Yeah, it's it, a very good kind of pair of episodes here. Uh, again, this going back to our time capsule thing, this whole like cliffhanger season finale to be <laughs> yeah. picked up is a very time capsule thing in and of, in and itself. of itself. Exactly. <laughs> Not that cliffhangers don't happen anymore, but uh, but they were used to be. You know, it was it was more of a well, this will get the audience talking during the off season. Whereas nowadays, you know, that conversation dies uh, a day after the show stops. And I feel, again, it was another ballsy move to not only be like cliffhanger season to season, but then you split the episode into two Mm -hmm. parts where it's like, we're going to feed you a little bit, but tune in next week. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. To be fair, they do, you know, the cliffhanger at the end of season one was who's hit, who's hit. So Mm -hmm. they do answer that right away. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Uh, I'll give them I'll give them credit where credit is due. They don't try to drag (laughs) that bit out. Uh, too long, but then yes, then to later make this, there's not too much of a cliffhanger between parts one and two of this episode, I would say, but yeah, then to make this a two-parter in and of itself is, is just more of that culture of kind of like cliffhanger culture (laughs) back then of like a very Star Trek TNG kind of move. But actually, speaking of, I want to give shout outs to two guest stars because Daniel Von Bargen, the chief from fucking Super Troopers. Yay! (laughs) He played, and I wrote in my, literally wrote in my notes, oh my God, it's the fucking chief from Super Troopers who plays a chief in, of sorts in everything. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He's, he's a, uh, he's an admiral in the, uh, like the NSC, the National Security Council or whatever. That's right. Okay. That That Anna Devere Smith, who again, another powerhouse actress. Yes. Um, it plays Nancy McNally. And then yeah, she's been a character actress in a lot of things. Yeah. Um, she's in Nurse Jackie is her big, was mm-hmm. her big, um, role recently. Um, and then we get a very brief one line right. interaction with Jane Lynch. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> Jane, fucking Jane Lynch, the reporter shows up Yeah, uh, while during the whole press rigmarole about who's in power, who's in power and, or whatever. If she's one of the reporters just yelling a question and she gets a line. So she got her SAG card stamped that day. <laughs> so congrats, Jane Lynch. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. This is, yeah, this is pre her being in like anything. I think this has to be one of her first roles. Yeah, I mean, um, it very early on. I'm sure she was in, like, indie movies or stuff, but, like, you know, this is the first thing that people actually laid eyeballs on. <laughs> yep, totally, because, and then it's, like, she was in, <laughs> like, she really made her, her way in Glee, mm-hmm. um, uh, fucking uh, Criminal Minds, she plays in yeah. a lot of episodes. Arre- Arrested Development. Arrested Development, yep. Um, 40-Year-Old Virgin. And then, uh, now she's... Like that. But that, that all came way, at, well, after this. 
Yeah, I could have. Okay, never mind. I, I was I was thinking of a different person. Anyway, yeah. we've been talking but for quite some time. <laughs> we have, um, but you know that that pretty much wraps it up. Um, uh, thank you for listening, as always. Uh, thank. We'll be back next time with another episode of more like the worst wing. Feel free to drop Which, us an email. Um, yeah, go ahead at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. The next episode is entitled The Midterms uh, and has to deal with the midterms. The midterms. The show perennially better when we are on the campaign trail. Right, yeah. Campaigns are great for drama because there's very easy stakes. You know, you win or you lose. Mm -hmm. Uh, When it comes to the governing bit, uh, it's a lot harder, and that kind of sums up the Democratic Party (laughs) in a nutshell. Sounds familiar. Uh, so thank you again, and uh, we'll see you all next time on more like the worst swing. Bye. Bye bye. But don't ask me to come on along. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. 